Please take a seat. Again, good morning, and we've already met, which is lovely, but let me say again uh, how delighted we are that you are here. What we're going to do now is turn to God's Word. This, we believe, is how God speaks to us today in the Bible, and we're going to pick up the reading that we started uh, earlier in the service. Could you turn back to page 846 to Mark chapter 10? And we're going to read from verse 17. We're reading from one of the historical accounts of Jesus's life. And, and earlier we read about Jesus teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, about heaven. Jesus said in emphatic terms, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And we pick up the reading immediately after in verse um, 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God for all things are possible with God. I'm going to quickly pray for God's help to understand what we've just read. Dear God, we pray that you would help us to understand the crucial things communicated by Jesus to this man with respect to his big question we also are concerned with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So please give us real clarity, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about heaven YouGov polls and national censuses tell us that less and less people in Britain claim to believe in heaven. 
That being said, the language and and even the the desire for a a better place after we die is all around us. I'm a big Man United fan, and this week I tuned in to watch the annual memorial service for the victims of the Munich air disaster in 1958. Very sadly, eight players and another dozen people uh, died. And one of the poems read at the memorial service had this line, eight Busby babes became ageless that day, young men forever in heaven to play. After the service, as happens every year, uh, the fans gathered to chant together, we'll never die. Maybe rugby is more your thing. This is St. Andrew's after all. Yesterday, as uh, Scotland lifted the Doddy Weir Cup after beating Wales, uh, the captain looked up to heaven and he pointed upwards as if to say, this one's for you, Doddy. Doddy Weir being a a former Scotland player who passed away recently after a, a long battle with motor neuron disease. Maybe you're not a sports fan at all, and that's okay, we can still be friends, might I suggest that all it takes is going to almost any funeral, and the, the language used is that of our dearly departed looking down on us from heaven, or having gone to, to be with the angels, or, or being in a, a better place. But in a country that believes less and less in heaven, what do people mean? What's actually true about what happens when we die? The Christian message is that God invites us to a brand new world that is free from all the things that spoil this one. Like when tragedy strikes or people get sick and die. The Bible speaks of heaven as a place where there will be no more evil, no injustice, no discrimination on the grounds of skin color, no personal frustrations, anxiety, heartbreak, or hurt. God invites us to a a world that is more amazing than anything we could conceive of, or possibly imagine, it is truly happily ever after, and that is because God himself is there with us forever. Now, I'm aware that for some of you, the the very idea of heaven and, and hell is probably crazy. However, if Jesus really is who he claims to be, and if he's right when he says that there are only two destinies, heaven in all its goodness and hell with all its judgment. If you had to choose, which one would you pick? I take it most of us would pick heaven, and I hope you'd be wanting to ask, well, how do I get there? What do I have to do? And that's exactly the question that Jesus is asked in in verse 17 from the verses that we read, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus' answer to the big question is clear. It divides into two parts, and we find it at the end of our passage. You can scan with me if you like. And in verse 26, the crowds ask, then who can be saved? Which is another way of saying, who can get to heaven? And Jesus answers in the following verse, in verse 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. In other words, if we're thinking about heaven and how to get there, Jesus says it's not something we can do for ourselves. It's impossible to get there on merit. However, it is something that God himself can do for us. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. So, let's consider Jesus's two-part answer together. Firstly, and this will be much longer than my second point, it is impossible to get there on merit. The, The point of this little account that we read is that even when you come across a guy as decent and moral and respectable as the one Jesus meets in verse 18, still it's impossible And this guy really was one of the most promising candidates for entering heaven. If anyone should be allowed in on merit, uh, it should be this guy. He's enthusiastic. We read, uh, he ran up to him. He's not a, a disinterested bystander that doesn't get the urgency of the question. He's eager to ask Jesus the question that's burning in his soul. He's also really respectful. He shows Jesus great respect by falling on his knees and referring to Jesus as good teacher or good rabbi, just to illustrate how big a deal it was that the man called Jesus good teacher. It was Jewish custom that anytime the the father of a family entered a room, his children were required to stand up out of respect for him but with one notable exception. If one of the sons ever became a rabbi, then it was the custom that when the son entered the room, his father would stand in respect of him because of his elevated office. And so, it is with great respect that this guy asks his question. He's incredibly polite and courteous. We're told in the story that he's also a a rich man. In first century Jewish culture, that was seen as a a direct blessing from God. You had lots of money, so you were one of God's favorites. This isn't what the Bible actually says or teaches at all, but that was a, a prevailing thought at the time. And in verse 20, if you scan with me, Jesus lists some of the the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And in verse 21, the man is able to say almost with a sigh of relief, all these I have kept from my youth. So so here's a, a moral guy, an upstanding citizen, You could trust him, a family man, 
super keen to, to do the right thing, just an all-round top bloke. But Jesus nevertheless says, if we're talking about heaven and getting there as a result of our own moral efforts, even for this guy, it's impossible. And we're meant to think, as we read, this guy is being painted as the, the best that humanity has to offer in terms of being a, a good person. And if it's impossible for him, then what chance do the rest of us have? And you're right. We haven't got a chance. It is impossible to get to heaven on merit. We cannot save ourselves. And if you want an, an illustration of just how impossible it is, Jesus himself gives it to us in verse 25. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The illustration is pretty straightforward, but super effective. This was actually illustrated really well on the TV show Taskmaster. If you don't know the show, the premise is incredibly simple. Five comedians compete in a range of silly tasks and challenges. That's it. It's nothing special. But one of the tasks, the comedians were given a, a toy camel, a, a stuffed animal. And the challenge was to get the camel through the smallest gap. Whoever got it through the smallest gap wins. And the contestants were, were dealing with a, a foot-long camel teddy bear made out of cotton and struggled to get it through the gap of a cupboard handle without resorting to blending the poor thing. Now picture a 700-kilo, eight-foot-tall animal and the tiny gap in the eye of a sewing needle. I think you get the point a camel is a very, very big thing, and the eye of a needle is a very, very small thing. And it doesn't matter how hard you push. It's not difficult. It's impossible. And Jesus' point is, you know how impossible it is to drive a camel through the eye of a needle. Well, that's how impossible it is for people like you and me to get to heaven. We simply can't get there on merit. It's impossible. But, but why is it impossible? Isn't it good enough to be a good person? I presume most of us here in this room consider ourselves good people. I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen anything other than by accident at the self-checkouts. I'm not a, a criminal, so what's the impediment? What's stopping me from getting in? Do I not make the, do I not make it in? Well, let me ask you a question about what you love most in life. The things to which you give your heart and energy to. What drives you in life? What gets you 
out of bed in the morning. It could be a person or a hobby or the pursuit of knowledge or a goal. There's maybe lots of things you love, but I'm asking what's at the top of the list? What's the last thing you'd want to give up? The reason this question is so relevant is because the point of tension in our story comes in verse 21, when the man has to choose between the love of his life and God. So, will you, will you read with me again from, from verse 21? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus pinpointed the love of this man's life. He knows that for this guy in particular, it's his money that matters more to him than anything. Sure, he went to synagogue every week, but what's going through his mind was money, dividends, adding to his real estate portfolio. And so Jesus gives him an ultimatum. You can keep hold of the love of your life, all your worldly treasures, or you can come and follow me and know eternal life, and come be a friend of God's forever. What would you have done, do you think? Verse 23 tells us how the man responded. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's so tragic, I think isn't it? If all I had to do to get into heaven, to God's perfect kingdom that I described at the beginning, if all I had to do was to get rid of all my stuff and my money, I wouldn't wait till tomorrow to sell it all. I'd give it away today. Because what does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and lose their soul? What could be more crazy than to chase after things that moth and rust will destroy rather than eternal life? What it comes down to for all of us is that it doesn't matter how much you respect Jesus as a good moral teacher, there's always something in our lives that we love just a little bit more than him. That's what the Bible means when it talks about sin. Doing bad things, sure, is certainly a part of it, but the real problem is our hearts, our hearts that love things and people more than we love God, the God who made us. It could be that we love good things, but when they take the place of God and become the ultimate thing, well, that's the very definition of sin. 
And so, if the number one thing in our life isn't Jesus, but something else, that something else, whatever it is, is the reason it is impossible for you and me to make it to heaven by ourselves. Because heaven is a place for people who have loved God perfectly. Jesus was once asked in this very biography that we are reading, Mark's Gospel, teacher of all the commandments, which one is the most important? And Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. What Jesus demands is that we love God. And he goes on to say in that commandment, and that you love others like yourself. What Jesus demands is that we love God and love each other. Pretty simple, right? Not too hard. But the problem is that little word, all. All your heart, all your mind, all your strength. No part of life is to be withheld from him. Our great crime, what prevents us from getting to heaven, is that we have rejected God's rule in our lives. We live in the world God made. He created everything and everything in it. The Bible says that God gives us life and breath and everything good we enjoy, like food and friends and fun and rugby. But sadly, the reality is that none of us live like that. We, we haven't loved God with every fiber of our being, and we certainly don't love people the way we ought to. And this is what disqualifies us from heaven. There's always something that we love more in life than Jesus. And so, it is impossible to get into heaven on merit. When Jesus asks the man in, in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus isn't denying that he's good or God, Rather, he's challenging the man's superficial understanding of goodness. God's standard of goodness is wholehearted, undivided, total, and complete love for him. And I wonder then, deep inside your own heart and my own, is there something that you love more than you love God? Is there something else to which you give your energy, affections, and devotion in life? God says you are to love me with all your heart. How do you do in the perfection test? Verse 26 asks the inevitable follow-up question. We're told that they were exceedingly astonished at hearing this teaching from Jesus, and he goes on to say to, and they go on to say, who then can be saved? 
Who then can make it to heaven? Wonderfully, Jesus doesn't stop at the bad news. Yes, it's true that humanly speaking, it is impossible for us to get to heaven. But the good news is that God can get you there. God can get us there. The aim of our our passage is to stop us from relying on ourselves and thinking that we can do something or be good enough a person to be acceptable to God. And on the flip side, to make us rely entirely upon God and in particular upon the death of Jesus on the cross. And if someone says, okay, I want to do that, I want to trust in God to get me to heaven, what does that look like in practice? Then the answer to what it looks like is simply asking him. Because the the, the story of the the rich young man is paired with the story that we, we first read of the little children. The the rich young ruler serves as a a negative example, but then the little children from our first reading are the positive alternative. You might remember from our reading that the disciples, it seems, were trying to shoo the children away, and when Jesus sees it, in verse 14, he's indignant and says, let the little children come to me, and, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God, for Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The the sentence reads like a, a, a warning, but the positive is also true. If anyone does receive the kingdom of God like a child, they shall enter it. That's the good news from the lips of God himself. If you want to get to heaven be like a little child. Do that, and you're in. Back in the the first century, of course, the children were were not a a symbol of, of innocence or blind faith or an underdeveloped intellect. They were considered the the lowest of the low. So, Jesus isn't saying that we have to be innocent like a little child, or to be naive and and gullible. He's saying that, spiritually speaking, we have to recognize that we are the lowest of the low. He's saying that the only way we can come to God is on our knees, relying not on ourselves, but on Him. Of Of course, some of us won't like to hear that. We say, but I've earned everything else in my life through hard work, so if I wanted a a ticket to heaven, I'll earn that as well. Uh, And today, Jesus is saying, it it doesn't work like that. This is the, the one thing in life you cannot do for yourself or pay someone else to do. This is something you have to receive like a gift. It's as a Christian holds up their hands and says to God, God, I know that I'm not good enough for you, 
that they receive his amazing love free of charge. This amazing offer of a a place in his heaven as a pure gift of his unearned love. And we see that most beautifully on the cross where Jesus went willingly to die in the place of sinners. We don't love God wholeheartedly and totally, but there was one man who did. Jesus loved God with all his heart and mind and strength, and so he is the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice. And any Christian here will tell you it is an amazing thing to experience that love, to know that even though I don't deserve it, Jesus Christ was willing to come to earth to live and die and rise again for me. It was no easy thing for God to offer me a place in his heaven. It cost him the death of his son. But all I have to do is receive it like a little child. Jesus says, if you admit you deserve nothing from him, if you would just come to him like a little child, if you ask him for mercy, well, God will receive you with open, loving arms and welcome you into his eternal life. And so I just want to ask you today, have you come to him? Jesus' invitation demands a response. Coming to a, a church service, or lots of them for that matter, will save no one. Having a a Christian friend that maybe brought you along won't get you into heaven by proxy. Even having a a Christian family or being baptized or, or christened as a baby won't save you. Only becoming like a little child who asks God for mercy and brings nothing in their hands can. So why not do it today? I'm aware that not everyone might be persuaded of the things spoken about this morning, but maybe you're interested to find out more. Can I encourage you specifically to do two things? Please explore the claims of heaven and the Christian faith and crucially, who Jesus is, and do it with the same urgency that the man in our story had. Heaven is far too precious to take lightly. And and secondly, please take one of these. These are at a table at the back uh, of the hall at the entrance where you came in. This is an account, a historical record of Jesus' life, and they're free for you to take as a gift from us. Please read it. Read the Bible with the friend that brought you along and hear Jesus' claims about who he is, why he came, 
and how you should respond. That is my encouragement to you this morning. How about we close by praying? Dear God, many of us read this passage of the rich young ruler and can really sympathize. Many of us read this passage and we see ourselves and our desire to earn our way to heaven. And many of us are convicted by our sin and the reality that none of us can earn our way to heaven. It is impossible. We have not loved you with all our heart and strength and mind. Dear God, we thank you so much that you don't just leave us there, but rather that you invite us to come to you like little children with nothing in our hands to bring but rather just to ask and receive the gift of eternal life. Please help us to understand and rightly respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.